Well, thank you to Mark. If you don't know or didn't know that, please don't obsess over it the rest of the night. It's not, well, I was going to say it is a big deal. Last Sunday night, the elders asked me to uh, go down through the whole history of how uh, we were led to leave Northern Ireland and head to Los Angeles to the Master's Seminary. And that was very emotional. So I'm not getting into that again tonight. It was too emotional last week. It's online. But yes, the Lord in his grace and goodness has led us to uh, leave here with a wife and two young children, five and three, and set up camp in California, in Los Angeles, where I'm going to study at the Master's Seminary for three and a half or four years. So yes, uh, Mark's words are very touching and means a lot. And uh, we do covet your prayers because this is a big thing uh, for us. But we're very sure we've never seen... The Lord leads so clearly, and uh, maybe it doesn't make sense to a lot of people six and a half years in a pastorate to go then to Bible college, but it doesn't make much sense to me either, but that's the way the Lord's leading us, and uh, that's very, very clear, and uh, we do appreciate your prayers, and it's lovely to be here. I think I've one more speaking engagement before I go, so it's nice to be here um, and to have you as one of the last churches uh, that I'll be away speaking in. Let's turn this evening to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter number 9, 2 Samuel chapter 9, 2 Samuel chapter 9, and we're going to take the time, only 13 verses, but we'll read down through the first 13. I'm going to speak tonight on a portrait of amazing grace and we're going to look at the story of Mephibosheth. So a portrait of amazing grace from 2 Samuel 9 commencing to read at verse 1. And David said, is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machar the son of Emiliel, in Lodibar. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machar, the son of Emiliel, from Lodibar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldst look upon such a dead dog as I am? And the king called unto Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertained to Saul and to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring in the fruits uh, that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread alway at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. 
Then said Ziba unto the king, According to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both his feet. Now let's just seek the Lord together and let's ask for his help and blessing as we come to consider God's word together. Our Father in heaven, we bow before you this evening and with our Bibles open upon our knee, we again thank you for what this book is, that it's not just a book, but this is the precious word of God. And we just thank you for how you have given it to us. We also thank you have given us the spirit of God that we may understand it. And we just pray tonight for those of us who are saved that we might be filled with the Spirit to understand and apply your word. We pray for any tonight that don't know you, Father, that the Spirit of God would take the word of God and under conviction, Father, would use it to bring souls unto the Savior. We thank you that we have read tonight of a a portrait of an amazing grace. And in this, we see a wonderful picture of the gospel. And so, Father, as we look at it together, for us as believers, may it warm our hearts And for those who are not Christians, we pray that will convert their hearts. Will you answer tonight and draw near to us as we draw near to you in Jesus' name. Amen. A young family moved back to their hometown having lived lived, uh, uh, away for quite a number of time. One day their young son Ryan mentioned that the school dinner lady was really nice to him. He said that she would smile and give him extras. Ryan said, I don't know why she is so nice to me. She always says no to the other kids and is rather grumpy, but never to me. So Ryan's mother went to the school to see who this lady was and why she was being so kind. Ryan pointed her out to his mom, but she didn't recognize the lady at all. So she went up to her and she asked, do you know me? The cafeteria lady said no, but I know that you are Mrs. Hinsley's granddaughter. Mrs. Hinsley never let me or my children go without anything. And I just wanted to be nice to someone in her family. And you know the story of Mephibosheth that we have read of tonight in 2 Samuel chapter 9 contains a very similar sentiment. We're met with a story of, of kindness on behalf of another We are met here with this character, Mephibosheth, whose father was Jonathan. Jonathan was the son of Saul. That's David's predecessor. But Jonathan was also the best friend of King David. And Jonathan was killed alongside Mephibosheth's grandfather, King Saul, when he was just five years of age. However, some 20 years previous, King David had made a covenant with both Jonathan and Saul. In 1 Samuel chapter 20 and verses 14 to 17, David promised that he would show loving kindness to Jonathan's family forever. In 1 Samuel 24, he also made a covenant that he would not kill any of Saul's children that came after him. So 20 years earlier, David had made a promise that when he would become king, that he would show kindness to Jonathan's family and would not kill any of Saul's children. 
Now as king, 20 years down the line, with, with Saul and Jonathan dead, how easy it would have been for David to have just got on with his life. But in verse number 1, we read that David was a man of his word. And he doesn't forget his voice. It says in verse 1, And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Years later, David's still a man of his word. And he sends this man, Ziba, a servant, out on a search party. He says, we're 20 years down the line, but I want to know if there's still any of Saul's family, if there's any still left, that I could just show them kindness. So out goes Ziba on a search party, and he discovers this man, Mephibosheth. This man, Mephibosheth, is in a place called Lodibar. He's a cripple. But you know, he's also a portrait of amazing grace. And in this story that you and I have read tonight, there are two types within it. And I want you to see tonight two characters. As we read 2 Samuel chapter 9 and think about it, we want to think of David. And David is a type of our Savior. And I want you to see Mephibosheth, who's a type of the sinner. So we're going to look at David, a type of the Savior. And we're going to see Mephibosheth, a type of the sinner. Like anybody that goes into an art gallery and stands gazing at a portrait, we're going to gaze at this wonderful portrait of amazing grace as we look at the story of Mephibosheth. First of all, first thing I want you to see as we think about Mephibosheth is the problem that he endured. The problem that he endured. Verse 3 says, And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul, that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he's in the house of Machar, the son of Emiliel in Lodibar. In those two verses, we discover the problem that Mephibosheth endured. Now, little is known about this man, Mephibosheth. We, we know that he's the son of David. But outside of that, we only know about his lameness and his location. Ziba, rather than give David his name, he simply just identifies him as being lame on his feet. In other words, he says, yes, there is still someone of the household of Saul, but you won't want to know about him because he's lame on his feet. He's no good to you. You see, this servant Ziba was looking on the outward appearance. And this man Ziba looked at Mephibosheth and he said, you know what, my king would have no interest in this man. You don't want to even think about him or remember how David knew all about those looking on the outward appearance. Maybe tonight the devil's whispering in your ear and he's saying, you're no good to God. God wouldn't be interested in you and, and the state that you're in. I want you to see tonight that David, as a type of Christ, he reaches out and he takes Mephibosheth in. The Lord loves you and wants to know you. We learn here that Mephibosheth was a cripple. Details of his disability are unknown to us. Commentators believe that he potentially had unbroken, or sorry, untreated broken ankles. In fact, if you were to look back into 2 Samuel chapter 4, where we first meet Mephibosheth, you can see perhaps what happened. 2 Samuel chapter number 4, we read of, a, of Mephibosheth fleeing in the arms of his nurse. 2 Samuel chapter number 4. 
This household of Saul was under attack and Mephibosheth is taken by his nurse and, and they go to flee to Samuel chapter 4 and verse 4. And Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame on his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it came to pass that she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame and his name was Mephibosheth. And so this disability that Mephibosheth has, it has come about as a, as a result of a fall. Something has happened. Mephibosheth has been dropped. And he ends up a cripple. You know, we could say tonight that his disability wasn't directly his fault. He was in the arms of his nurse. And running, she fell. And as a result, he ended up lame. What's the picture there? Well, you know, in that story of how Mephibosheth ended up lame on his feet, a disability caused by a fall, we have a a vivid picture of a sin-crippled humanity. You see, you and I are part of a sin-crippled humanity. We've read in 2 Samuel 4 that for the first five years, Mephibosheth had use of his feet. Mephibosheth could walk. The opening chapters of our Bible detail man walking with God. In the beginning, we have God and man in a perfect relationship where the two of them commune together and walk together. But then sin came into the world and crippled all humanity. Today, in 2022, every single person possesses a soul that's being damaged by the fall and left crippled by sin. Doesn't matter who we are. Doesn't matter whether Protestant or Catholic. Doesn't matter whether we're good living or bad living. Doesn't matter. The one thing that unites every single one of us is that in our hearts we have a soul that's being left crippled by sin. Now here's the thing. It's not directly our fault. Rather... Every single one of us are casualties of the fall. It was Adam, we could say, who dropped humanity. In Romans 5, Paul puts it like this. In verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Paul puts it like this in 1 Corinthians 15 and 22, that in Adam all die. And listen tonight, the reality is that though it may not be our fault that we are now, uh, that we have become sinners, the reality is we are sinners. Every single one of us are linked to Adam. We've been bruised by the fall. And so tonight, the first step in becoming a Christian is realizing that our souls are damaged. Not only was Mephibosheth lame, but look where he lived. Verse number 4 tells us that he lived in the house of Makar, the son of Amiel, in Lodibar. Do you know what that word or that place, Lodibar, literally means? Lodibar means the place of no pasture. Lodibar was an obscure village. 
just north of Jerusalem. And it's likely that Mephibosheth fled there from David who could have killed him. David was in every right to have killed him. It was the custom of ancient kings to kill any heirs of the previous king and wipe out any potential opposition. So here we have Mephibosheth and he has, he has fled from this place and he has, he has been dropped and he's grown up with a disability and with lameness. But not only that, he's living in this place of obscurity. He's living in borrowed common he's living in the house of another man and his condition as a lame man in that society had left him unable to provide for himself. There was no, uh, uh, there was no PIP, uh, there was no uh, allowance, there was no medical insurance. He was left in a place where he couldn't provide for himself. And so he's living lame in a place of no pasture, unable to provide for himself. You know, folks, the reality is, regardless of what the outward exterior says, that's what sin has done to every one of us. It has left us living in obscurity far from God. In reality, we're living in another man's house. Adam lived in the garden with God. But following the, flaw, the fall, he was banished and he was left to wander the world looking for another home, searching for satisfaction. And today, there's still people and they wander from place to place, from thing to thing, looking and searching for satisfaction. You know, we've got to understand tonight that not only are we fallen in sin, but we have been left far from God. A great gulf of separation exists now. A gulf that will still exist in all of eternity. And nothing can close that gulf. Religion can't close it. And nothing can close it except the relationship with Jesus Christ. And so this is the state that we are naturally in before we're found by God and redeemed by His grace. Mephibosheth as we look at him, we see the problem that he endured. He was lame and living in a barren location. But then I want you to see not only the problem that he endured, but in verses 5 to 8, we see the promotion that he experienced. Verse 5 says, Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machar, the son of Emiliel from Lodibar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldst look upon such a dead dog? As I, oh, what a, a promotion that Mephibosheth experienced. Here he is living lame and in Lodibar. Nobody is interested in him. And then all of a sudden, Ziba comes along and he fetches Mephibosheth out of the house. It's lovely here that we read that David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold thy servant. He called him by name. I want to say to you tonight, if you're not saved, the Lord's calling you by name. The Lord knows you by name. 
The Lord knows where you're living. The Lord knows the state of your life. The Lord knows the the gap that's in your heart. The Lord knows how you're searching and under conviction. And the Lord is calling out to you by name tonight. And he's saying, come unto me. As we look at the promotion that Mephibosheth experienced, we see in verse number 5 that David sought out Mephibosheth. He sought him out. David sent and fetched him out. Of the house of Makar. What an incredible picture of God's grace. God's grace in seeking sinners. You know in Luke 19 and 10 Jesus said. Summing up his whole mission and why he came to the earth. He said the son of man is come to seek and to see of that which is lost. I wonder do you realize that the Lord is seeking you tonight. Harry Arnside tells the story of a little boy. The little boy was asked, have you found Jesus? The little boy looked up and said, please sir, I didn't know he was lost. But I was and he found me. I want to tell you tonight that the Lord is looking for you. The Lord is seeking you. He has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And the Lord is calling. Mephibosheth, though a cripple, was a rival to David. He was undeserving of David's kindness. He was unbeneficial to David's cause. There was nothing that Mephibosheth could add to David to make his life any better, to make his reign any more secure. He was actually a rival, and yet David sought him. But not only that, not only did David find and and seek Mephibosheth, he sought him, but he also brought him. That word fetched literally means that he made a way for him to come on to him. You couldn't just go up to an ancient king. You had to take a, a request an audience with the king. The ordinary layman would never get an audience with the king, let alone a layman. And yet here we read that David fetched Mephibosheth. He literally made a way for Mephibosheth to come on to him. I want to say tonight that God in his grace has made a way to come on to him. You know, we can't just come on to God whatever way we want. Some are trying to come to God through a priest. Some are trying to come to God through good works. Some are trying to come to God through their Protestant religion. Some people are trying to come to God through 101 different ways. Listen, there's only one way to come to God, and Jesus is that way. John 14 and verse 6, Jesus answering the question when the disciples said, How can we come unto you? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We read in God's word that there is one God, and there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, if you want to come unto God, if you want to be saved tonight, the only person that you need to go to is the man Jesus Christ. Here's the wonderful thing, you can go directly to him. You don't need to come through me or anyone else, through his son, God has made a way. Oh, we sing that lovely hymn, Oh, the love that sought me, Oh, the blood that bought me, Oh, the grace that brought me to the fold, Wondrous grace that brought me to the fold. Oh, you can come to God as you are. 
but you've got to come his way. Arriving at the palace, having sought Mephibosheth, brought Mephibosheth, he now arrives at the palace, and what does he do? We see in verse number 6, that he bowed in fear and then worshipped in humility. He was standing before the king. He knew he had no right to be there. And he saw himself for what he was. He says he was just a dead dog. He couldn't figure out what he had done to experience such favor. He had done nothing to deserve such treatment. And then we read that he learns of the covenant and he experiences grace and acceptance on account of another. He experiences grace on account of his father, on account of Jonathan and his relationship with David and the covenant made between them. And he soon realizes he has done nothing to deserve such an audience with the king. He has done nothing to deserve being sought. He has done nothing to deserve being brought. It's all of the goodness of David. When it comes to us, we experience God's amazing grace and we experience the full working out of the gospel, not on account of Adam's relationship with God, because he ruined that. We experience it on account of Christ and the eternal covenant made with his Father, If we're going to be accepted, we're accepted in the beloved. Oh, do you know in every other religion, they work to be accepted by God. I've got to work and work and work and work and work in order to be accepted before God. And Jesus Christ comes to make an end of that. And God says the only way to be accepted before me is accepted in Christ. Oh, Paul puts it like this in Romans 5 and verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You see, Jesus Christ came into this world. And he came into this world as the way to God. And remember that way had been broken and he went to the cross and there he was nailed to an old rugged cross. And he, the just one, he, the perfect one, he, the sinless one, was nailed to a cross and tortured and brutalized and beaten and then lifted up between heaven and earth. And when man had done his very worst, God hadn't yet begun. And there was three hours of darkness descended. And at midday it became midnight. And in those hours of darkness, God the Father laid on his Son all the sin that would separate us from from God eternally. All the, the results of the fall and the condemnation and the curse that would take us to a lost eternity God the Father laid it on his son and God the judge the just and holy one instead of pouring out his wrath on you and me he poured it out on his son he laid it all on him and after having done that Jesus was taken from the cross Having given up his life, oh, he wasn't murdered. 
No man took his life from him when God the Father was finished. Christ cried it was finished and he gave up the ghost and he was buried in a tomb. But three days later he rose again, a signal that everything was complete and he ascended and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now here's the thing, Jesus has done it all. So when we try and work our way to heaven or when we try to pay our way to heaven or when we do our penance or we do whatever, here's what we're saying to God. The cross isn't enough. Jesus isn't enough. The message of the Bible is Jesus is enough. I want to tell you tonight, Jesus is enough. He's all you need. He doesn't want anything else. Mephibosheth was accepted not because of anything that he done, but because of what David done on his behalf. And I want to tell you tonight that we are saved not by anything we do, but through everything that Jesus has done. And all you've got to do is believe it. In grace, God, when he saves us, lifts us from the obscurity of Lodabar from the pit of sinking sin. And Paul says in Ephesians 2 and 6 that he raises us up together and he makes us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ can do for you what no one else is ever able to do. How encouraging Mephibosheth was as he was promoted in spite of his disability, he was given a place at the king's table and all of these things. One commentator says Mephibosheth was not supernaturally healed of his lameness, even though he lived in David's presence in the palace. Every time he clonked along on his crutches in the splendor of the palace, Mephibosheth must have thought, grace, grace, grace. Even though the commentator says God has saved us and seated us in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. He has not eradicated our old sin in nature. Every time we struggle against the lusts of the flesh, we ought to be reminded grace, grace. It was God's grace that sought me when I was fallen in sin. And right now I'm just a spiritual cripple, but I'm living in the palace of the king thanks to his grace. Oh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that's able to save a wretch like me. God isn't wanting you to try and impress him. Christ has done it all. Finished was the cry. And in faith, he just wants you to believe it. All Mephibosheth had to do was take his place in the king's palace. Oh, we see the problem that he endured. We see the promotion that he experienced. What about as we close the privileges that he enjoyed? Verse 9, it says, Then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have got given unto thy master's son all that pertain to Saul and to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring in the first or in the fruits, and that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, he shall eat bread always at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. 
Then said Zibon to the king, according to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both of his feet. Oh, the problem that he endured and the promotion that he experienced, it led to the privileges that he enjoyed. With Mephibosheth's promotion by grace came great privileges by grace. Likewise, what great blessings accompany our so great salvation. You see, when we get saved, sometimes I think the way the gospels preached you You get saved just to get a ticket to heaven. I want to tell you it's more than that. It's so much more than that. In Romans 8 and 32, Paul said of God, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? I want to tell you, the moment that you become a Christian, you receive so much more than a ticket to heaven. David gave two things to Mephibosheth. There was a restoration of what was lost. And there was communion with his Lord. Verses 7, 9, and 10, we have a restoration of what was lost. Becoming king, David owned all the land that had been Saul's. Sure, he could have shown Mephibosheth grace by giving him a small plot in some obscure part of the kingdom. But David does something incredible. David blesses Mephibosheth abundantly by restoring to him all the land that would have been rightfully his. Not only that, but he also gives Mephibosheth Ziba and his sons to be his servants as they were souls. This is multiplied grace. David giving and restoring to Mephibosheth all that had been lost. You know, folks, when Adam sinned, in the beginning he surrendered all the blessings and inheritance that would have been his, that should have been his. Here's the thing, we live wandering in this world with nothing. We might gain all the trophies of the world. But what shall a profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? When we get to, to eternity, it'll matter little the trophies we've gathered up on earth. And so it doesn't matter what we have in earth. It matters what we have in eternity. And when Adam sinned, he, he forfeited all the eternal blessings that should have been ours. Here's the wonderful thing. When we get saved, When we come to Christ, in Christ, God restores what sin has wrought. He gives us and blesses us with all the spiritual blessings and heavenly places. And here's the thing, as as Peter writes, if you were to look it up in 1 Peter chapter number 1, we're told about this, that that the things that really matter, he says in, in verse 3 of 1 Peter chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten 
witness again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen to this. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. When you get saved, God lays up for you an inheritance, a reward, all the blessings, spiritual blessings that will last far beyond time and for all of eternity. And they're not secured by us, but they're secured by the Savior. John writes in John 1 and 16, And of his fullness have all we received. And grace for grace. Every other religion promises much and delivers little. When you come to Christ, you gain more than you can ever imagine. Oh, there was a restoration of what was lost. But what a blessing. There was communion with his Lord. In verses 11 to 13, we see Mephibosheth communing with King David. He got a privilege he never before enjoyed. Mephibosheth would spend the rest of his life living in proximity to the king's palace and dining daily at the king's table. No longer would he live in the poverty and obscurity of Lodibar. No longer would he eat the food of the ordinary man. He could commune with the king. Chuck Swindle puts it like this. The Bible is a photo album filled with pictures of God's grace. One striking image is found in the pages of 2 Samuel. The setting is the palace of King David. Gold and bronze fixtures gleam from the walls. Lofty wooden ceilings crown each spacious room. In the banquet room, David and his children gather for an evening meal. Absalom, tanned and handsome, is there. As is David's beautiful daughter Tamar, the call to dinner is given and the king scans the room to see if all are present. One figure though is absent. Clump, scrape, clump, scrape. The sound coming down the hall echoes into the chamber. Clump, scrape, clump, scrape. Finally, the person appears at the door and slowly shuffles to his seat. It is the lame Mephibosheth, seated in grace at David's table. And how wonderfully the tablecloth covers his feet. And now the feast can begin. What an incredible portrait that this man has taken and given a place at the king's table. As we close tonight, Sin broke our fellowship and communion with God. But Christ, through his work on the cross, now makes it possible by grace for that communion to be restored. And when you come to trust Jesus Christ, as I've already said, he grants you more than just a ticket to heaven. He takes you. And he places you into his hand where no man can, it places you into the hand of his father where no man can pluck you out. And then he takes you by the hand and he leads you day by day. He walks with you. He talks with you. When the worries and struggles and 
trials of life come and listen. The Christian life doesn't exempt us from that. What a blessing to be able to say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. In your times of trouble, who do you turn to? Oh, tonight, we urge you to turn to Christ. And that communion that's broken between you and God can be restored. We read in in Ephesians chapter 2, and with this I close. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Those verses can be your story. The story of Mephibosheth can be your story. But for that to happen, you've got to bow the knee in simple faith and acknowledge like Mephibosheth that you're just a cripple before God. A sinner not deserving of any merit or favor of God. Acknowledging that Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory who died on the cross, who took your place and stood under your condemnation, but has rose again. And you simply cry out, Lord, save me. And the moment you do that, you will enter into this incredible relationship where you walk with the Lord in the light of his word. Our Father, we want to thank you for this portrait of amazing grace. Oh, Father, what rich imagery is in the life of Mephibosheth, the one who was, who was lame because of a fall lived in a place of obscurity. And Father, that's where we are. We are born broken and bruised by the fall, separated from God. But we thank you for the grace of God, the grace that sought us and the blood that bought us. We thank you for how you draw us lovingly to the fold. Father, we pray tonight. Should there be one or more here who's listening and they're challenged and they're trying to work their way to heaven or earn favor with God, that they'll see that Jesus has paid it all, that he has completed the work on the cross, that we're saved by grace. And all we've got to do is take the gift from the nail-pierced hands of Christ and take him as our own and personal Savior. Father, we pray. That after the voice of man is silent, the voice and convicting voice of the Spirit of God would work on and bring people through for Christ. For his glory alone we pray. Amen.